Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We speak on this subject this morning, adding to faith obedience. Adding to faith obedience. Father, bless us as we look to your word for guidance and wisdom, for direction, for correction, for power. And I pray that I would be able to preach the words of sound doctrine this morning. That will edify the hearer. Lord, so much potential in this room. Hard to fathom it. And so much will be missed if we don't add to faith obedience. Holy Spirit of God, I do pray for your filling right now and your blessing on all that is said. Bless this wonderful place where servants of God are trained year after year. Bless the faculty and staff. Give them wisdom. And may today be a day when important decisions are made. Life-changing. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we are add to add to our faith. Beside all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And there's a, a long list of superlatives and important things that we should add, biblical character traits that we should seek to add to faith. But the inference is that faith by itself is not enough. There's only one place where faith plus nothing minus nothing has any bearing on your life, and that's at the moment of salvation. We are saved by grace, that's God's grace, through faith, through your willingness to place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's a place where faith plus nothing can save, can make all the difference in the world. But everywhere else, faith needs admixture. Faith needs an addition. In fact, the Bible tells us twice in James chapter 2 that faith without works is dead being alone. Faith needs something added. And if you'll read Hebrews 11 with that idea in mind, you'll see all of these different characteristics of, uh, of, 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 of trepidation, but courage to overcome, um, spelling out in, in, in several different ways where faith was present, but faith moved and faith worked and faith... Uh, brought alongside friends that caused great victories and triumphs and, and, and wonderful stories to read about, frankly, in Scripture. But the one I want to take from the life of Abraham here is faith plus obedience. We sing this song, Trust and Obey. That song tells us that there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey, to have faith in God and to obey what He says, faith in God is a deeply held belief in God, His person and His plan. And this will cause me to listen to one voice above all others, will cause me to follow one leader above all others, will cause me to obey His commands above all others. That's not that there aren't other voices. 
Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, the world is trying to conform. Conformity is an outward pressure pushing on you. They're trying to push you in their mold. And the world is speaking to you constantly and pressuring you constantly. You need to take our dress. You need to take our standards of, uh, and sensibilities about what's right. And, and they're trying to push you away from a biblical worldview. They're screaming through all the airways. Listen, you allow so much of the world in through the devices that you have. Be so very careful. Be careful that you start every day in the Word of God before you pick up the phone. Far be it from a servant of God. Far be it for a full-time, if you're called a full-time servant, far be it for your first influence of the day to be the world that you live in. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's, it's a zero-sum gain. Either you're going to love the world or you're going to love the Lord. Either you're going to give God first place or you're going to give the world first place. John the Baptist understood that principle because he's, he said he must increase and I must decrease. And as my, as my faith and fealty toward God increases, the connection this world has on me, the sway that it carries over me decreases. But as I allow the world more access to me and my time, the things of God become less and less important to me. There are competing voices, but listen, there's one voice that you should hear above, above all others. There's one will that you should note, that you should be loyal to, that you should be faithful to above all others. It's not that the world isn't trying every day to command my obedience. It just, it's just that Jesus has my heart and I have His. He told me in a straightforward manner, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, obey me. If you have faith in me, then do what I ask you to do. And so you see this connection forming between faith and obedience. If I trust him, then I need to obey him. It's kind of hollow when we say we trust God, that we love him, but we won't keep his commandments. Do we truly trust him? If when there comes this differential between my will and His, and I can't see how His will benefit me, and I can, in fact, see how His might set me back in standing in this world, if I choose my will in order to make my life better. Paul had it so right, didn't he? He said, for me to live is Christ. It's all about Him. There are many definitions of obedience, but to still it all down and we come to the same definition that your parents taught you, that one day you will teach your children, the one I taught my children. Obedience, obedience is doing what you're told when you're told happily. Okay, One day you'll teach that to your children or you should. Listen, if your parents didn't teach that to you, then go ahead and write that down. Okay, You don't have to credit me. I didn't think it up. But a lot of times our children don't do what they're told and we recognize that as disobedience. But when they do what they're told, but not in a timely manner, that's delayed obedience and that's disobedience. Or if they do what they're told when they're told, but with a terrible attitude, that's not full and complete obedience. Obedience is doing what you're told when you're told happily. Abraham is the prime example of obedience in Scripture. He went out not knowing whither he went. His faith so strong that he didn't need all the details in order to go with God 
wherever the path led. I meet so many Christians that are paralyzed because God will not tell them everything. Faith isn't about knowing all the what-ifs you'll face. It's about trusting the one you'll face all the what-ifs with. Can you imagine the conversation that Abraham had with Sarah? I mean, it started strong. Sarah, God has spoken to me. Genesis 12, now the Lord had said it. God spoke to Abraham. What a way to talk to your wife. The God of heaven spoke to me and she thought, this is amazing. And he told me that I need to step out in faith and go, great, where are we going? Well, I mean the scripture is very clear. He went out not knowing whither he went. Now I don't know what your leadership style looks like, but that's not one they teach here in college. The first thing you need to do is tell your followers you haven't got a clue. <laughs> Abraham's way said, he said, go, so I'm assuming we're going to leave here. The Persian Gulf's that way, so we probably shouldn't go that way. The Tigers and Euphrates go this way, and there'll be water, so let's go that way. Well, when are we going to stop? When we get there. Well, where's there? I don't know. It's a land. Well, this is a land. Yep, that's a better land. Hey, if you're not married yet, try that conversation one day with your wife. God is leading me. Good. Where are we going? Um, just start packing. We'll, we'll, we'll know soon. <laughs> Abraham did what God told him to do when God told him to do it with an excellent spirit. He added faith to his or he added to his faith obedience. I have three lessons because I'm an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist. And so three points is what we do. Amen. You can do four points. If people will start to tilt their head a little bit. How many of you have a dog? You have a dog, right? Amen. Did you hear about... Oh, let me, let me get this right. Um, what are the people that don't know if there's a God? What do you call those people? Agnostic, yeah. It was the dyslexic and somniac agnostic who stayed up all night wondering if there was a dog. I suspect that a good portion of you are going to get that at lunch today. Oh, dog! Don't snort again, please. Just don't. <laughs> My ADD cannot deal with that. So, where were we? What, we're in chapel, I know that. that. That got me over there. Oh, if you've ever had a dog, sometimes a dog communicates so well, right? When they don't exactly know what you're saying, but they know they, they should pay attention, they do this. They go... And when you have a fourth point, Baptists go, hmm? They're like, is this okay? But they'll give you the benefit of the doubt. If you have a fifth point, they're like, make it a series, pal. And if you have a sixth point, they may hang around, but they don't mean it. All right, three points, three lessons about faith that we can learn. I'm still looking at the big clock. You, you made it where I couldn't not look at the big clock, didn't you? All right. 
Number one, are you ready? If you write things down, here we go. True obedience moves you where God wants you. True obedience moves you where God wants you. This is what we know about Abraham. He went out. He was in. He was in a comfortable place. I'm certain that Abraham was successful. That was his, his mode of life. And, I, you know, typically those things run uh, familiarly. Success typically breeds success. Principles are handed down. Genetics are handed down. So I'm guessing that Abraham's family was affluent, successful where they were. That's what he would be everywhere else that he went. God didn't call Abraham because he was a failure. Uh, God doesn't typically... Uh, Sponsor flops and failures. Uh, I understand that God hath chosen the foolish things of the world, but you don't have to put that to the test, right? And, and I will say this, God uses all kinds of people, but I, I, he, he never uses a lazy person. Okay? Stay busy. We'll sleep when we're dead. Until then, stay busy. I was reading about the Apostle Paul. He said, I'm, I'm the least of all the apostles. I came, he was the last one called. Under special circumstances, he was called. He was called directly by Jesus. That is the sign of apostleship. Because he asked the voice that spoke to him from heaven, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. He has that encounter with Jesus in a way that no one else does. But he's still the last one called, and so he's playing catch-up. He's playing catch-up from this terrible life that he's lived before. He's playing catch-up being the last one called. And he said... But I labored more abundantly than they all. You know, there's a lot you can make up for if you'll just work hard. And Abraham is this incredibly successful person. He has a comfortable lifestyle, no doubt, there in Ur of the Chaldees. He's in, but God wants him out. And he went out. Listen, faith has to move you from a place of being comfortable, of a place of being set, of a place of where your nest is feathered, to a place of discomfort. We are nesting people by and large. Now, there, there are some pioneering spirits out here. There are some restless souls. But we're nesting people. But this world is not our home. And we have forgotten, I feel, sometimes that we're pilgrims here. I know so many stories as a fact that we were talking about Teddy Roosevelt for just a moment. And there was a missionary that was coming from a term in Africa there were several terms in Africa, and he was coming home to retire. His wife had died in country, and he was, he was literally in the poorest part of the ship, and he's down in steerage, and, and they're coming into the, the harbor there at New York, and he's dejected. He's labored for a lifetime, but he has to leave because of health. His wife is not with him. His children are not with him. He's by himself. But as they grow close to the harbor, there in New York, he sees that there's, or he hears a band playing, and he begins to see banners, and he can't quite make out. But he's like, man, they arranged a homecoming. This is incredible. They didn't forget. But as he drew closer to the land, he, he began to read the banners that were held up, said, welcome back, Mr. President. And way above steerage on the top decks of the boat, 
was President Roosevelt, and he had been on a several-week safari in Africa, and he was returning after that, and the missionary was so dejected. He said to himself, My goodness, I come home after a life of service, and no one knows. He comes back after a few weeks on safari, and everyone shows up. And he heard a voice in his heart that said, But you're not home yet. And we're not home. We're pilgrims. We read in Hebrews 11, there's all these incredible stories. But then you get down to that, but others and others. And they professed that they were pilgrims here. Don't forget your pilgrim mentality, folks. Don't settle in. God isn't concerned about your comfort. And a lot of times in the most uncomfortable places... We connect with God in the most profound ways. True obedience moves me. I'm reminded of Pharaoh's three compromises when I think about the, the life of Abraham. Abraham, or, or, when Moses went before Pharaoh to, to petition for the release of God's people, Pharaoh had three compromises he offered to him. He said, number one, go but don't go far. He said, number two, go but leave your children. So number three, go but leave your possessions. And boy, isn't that the same thing the world does to us today? Go but don't go very far. Listen, you don't want to be one of those crazy right-wingers. Listen, if, if, you're, if you're in college and you're already considered compromised, you're way behind the curve. This ought to be like the zeal time. They ought to be trying to cool you down. The goal of college is to take zeal and add knowledge to it. But if you haven't got the zeal right now, if you don't want to charge hell with the squirt gun right now, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. If you're already contemplating compromise, go but don't go far. Isn't that the mantra? Listen, you don't want a ministry where you have to be careful what you preach. You better go in from day one. I'll give you an example. There's a lot of pre preachers that have trouble dealing with money. And they'll deal with that. And, and, and one out of every seven verses, I think, in the Bible deals with money in some form or, or fashion. So God is not at all intimidated by that. But there are some preachers that when they start, well, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to be one of those money-grubbing preachers. Baptists have a nose for that. And when they sense reticence on your part, they're like, he doesn't really believe that. Listen, if it's in that book, you better preach it and you better preach it without fear and favor and don't worry. Listen, if God said say it, say it. You got so many people that are trimming their way to seek love and they're trimming the message. Listen to me. You are from an old, the legacy of this college is an old-fashioned, Bible-believing, fundamental Baptist institution and we're independent Baptists, praise the Lord. And that's what you ought to be when you leave here. If that's not what you are, there are a lot of other colleges that are different. But this one has a legacy. This one has a pedigree that is that. So be what you're trained to be. I will say this. The beautiful thing about being an independent Baptist is I can preach the whole book. Go, but don't go far. Go, but leave your children. You're not married yet, but listen to me. If the faith 
that you've embraced is something that you have earnestly contended for, then hand it down to your children. Man, in Deuteronomy, that's repeated over and again. The word that I've given you, you're to teach it to your, diligently teach it to your children. When you get up, when you lay down, when you walk by the way, when you eat, all the time teaching your children. Again, you don't have any children yet, but would you file that away someday? And then there's the, you can go but leave your money behind. Let me just say this and then we'll move on. You need to be fully invested in this. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. By and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish... I've given him more. Nobody gets to heaven and wish they'd done less. Listen to me, young people. Serving the Lord doesn't pay a lot. You're going to go to work in Christian schools. You're going to go work as, as assistant pastors. You're going to go to work in positions where you are barely going to make enough to survive. But it's not about money, nor has it ever been. Because the people who have the most are miserable. Our brother is from the Philippines. You go to the Philippines, you know what you meet? People with nothing who have the joy of the Lord. They haven't been ruined by things. Abraham went, his family went, his wealth went, his future went. He completely obeyed with the whole of his person and everything he controlled and everything that he owned. And he did so with only a basic concept of what God wanted, not the whole picture. Faith moves you. Do not get caught in the paralysis of analysis loop if you've got God's word on it and you've gotten godly counsel on it and you know in your heart that this is what God wants then don't undo and doubt what you've established in faith. Number one, true obedience moves you where God wants you. Number two, true obedience keeps you where God places you. We see in our text he sojourned in the land as in a strange country dwelling in tents and his children. He had reasons to return. Think about it. He had to stay without putting down roots. He had to live in tents. Now, I imagine that when he lived in Ur of the Chaldees, he had a substantial home. Again, this is a substantial figure. He had a home. He had brick and mortar. Ur of the Chaldees was not a transient city. It was an established city on a trade route. Believe me, he had Castle Abraham going on, but for the rest of his life, he's going to live in a tent. He had to stay without putting down roots. He had no connection to any of the people there. All of Abraham's family, he left the last of his family behind when, 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 when Lot left. I know that Lot traveled with him, but that was contrary to God's will. But really, when he left Haran, he left everybody behind. He had no connection to any of the people there. He had no monument to him. Again, there wasn't Castle Abraham there. His children be raised in this foreign land. All of these things, you know, when we look at Bible characters, sometimes we don't give them human emotions. We don't give them human conversations. But they had the same kind of conversations that your parents would have, that you would have in dealing with these decisions. Abraham, how can our children grow up here? Abraham, we don't even have a home. We live in a tent. Abraham, we don't know these people. They don't speak our language. 
Over and over again, there were opportunities. There were goads that pushed Abraham to leave. But listen, faith will not only get you where you need to go, it'll keep you where you need to stay. The president of my college, Dr. Wendell Evans, said Christianity is not measured in years, it's measured in decades. And I realize there's a tendency among youth to think, well, I just showed up, the world is going now. But there's a lot that went before you. And if the Lord tarries His coming, there's a lot that's yet to come. And it's required in a steward that a man be found faithful. Stay where God puts you. There's such a drop-off between freshman and sophomore year. When you look at the size of a freshman class and then when you have commencement, the size of the senior class, sometimes you wonder, where did they all go? Now, some of them had just, you know, did the 13th year. They were in Christian education. They came for the year. They told their pastor. They told their parents, I'll go to Christian college for a year. And and they were never going to be. But there are some people that needed to stay and didn't. They just couldn't find the determination. I don't know who the origin of this phrase is, but it's so beautiful. Bloom where you're planted. It's always going to look better somewhere else. In there, there's such excitement when you get there. But then when routine sets in and, and all of a sudden all the mystery of it's gone, it just becomes about living every day in the same place. And the excitement is not there anymore and you start looking other places. Well, pastors do that. Well, if I could get to that ministry or that level, if I could be involved in that. Listen, stay where God puts you. He'll move you when it's time. But you stay until He does. True obedience keep you, keeps you where God places you. Faith plus obedience led Him there and kept Him there. And number three, and we're done. True obedience fills our future with hope. In our text it says this, He looked for a city that was built by God. He was always looking for God to fulfill His word and bless Him above all others. Obedience always has a bright future. And that's contrasted in such stark relief against disobedience. Disobedience has you looking over your shoulder, wondering when's it going to catch up to me? Who knows? What do they know? What are they going to find out? Such ominous feelings disobedience brings. But obedience, listen, obedience has faith in God and God fulfills His promises. The book said the promises of God are yea and amen. He always keeps His word. And it may not be upon me now. But God is not a debtor to any man. And if I trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not unto my own understanding, in all my ways acknowledge Him, He's going to direct my path. When I seek Him first, all these things are going to be added unto me. Listen, God's promises are going to be kept. And Abraham didn't realize all of it. He never saw his children as the sand of the sea or the stars of the heaven, but he did see an heir born of promise. He did see his wife, who was 90, have a baby. He did hold a baby when he's 100 years old. You know why? Because God always keeps his promises. 
Young person, you listen to me. The world gives you everything up front and makes you pay later. It's a credit card world. Play now, pay later. It's amazing how thick that payment book is. Long after the thrill of driving the new car has worn off, the payments just keep on coming. And long after the thrill of sin is gone, the payments, just sin when it is finished, just keep on coming. Not so with God. God will bless you, but God will make you work on the front end so that He can bless you in the latter end. I realize that all throughout your journey, the world has flashed and come, come with us. Come, you know, Proverbs chapter 1, come with us. It's going to be so great. And heretofore, you've been able to say no, but don't pretend temptations are going to go away. Don't pretend when you're living on meager means that the devil doesn't have the ability to flash wealth in front of you. Don't pretend. But if you sell out, you never get to the promise. Faith plus obedience keeps the future bright. I said this earlier, and I mean it. What's in this room, the potential is staggering. And I know you hear things like that all the time. But what God can do with one, He can do with someone else. What could He do with a whole room full of committed and obedient Christians? The future is so very bright. But you're going to have to have the faith to obey God and to go where He sends you. If He sends you to Africa, go to Africa. You'll be happy there. David Livingston said, I'm safer in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of it. Go where He sends you and stay where He plants you and just keep doing the work and though it may be hard now, there's a joy in our heart that only obedience can bring. I'm in the center of God's will. When I was a, a kid, I wanted to fly airplanes. From the time probably I was 12, I just, I grew up in Pensacola, Florida, and there's a naval air station there. And I would see the Blue Angels practicing over Pensacola Bay, and they're stationed down there in, in at Naval Air Station, Pensacola, and I just was enamored with naval aviation, and I worked toward that end. And when I graduated from college, had a scholarship to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida, and I was going to study aeronautical engineering, then go into the Navy and the officer corps, and I was going to fly airplanes. I remember my father said to me, son, have you ever considered Bible college? And I said, yeah, for about 30 seconds, and that was painful. He said, you know, son, if you go to Bible college for a year, your scholarship will wait. He said, you'll spend a year becoming a better Christian, getting more familiar with the scripture, learning the work in ministries. It'll be a year that'll be a benefit to you the rest of your life, and you can go ahead and follow the path you've chosen. He said, but if you spend a year 
out of the will of God at a secular university away from your family and you decide later it was God's will to go on ministry, you'll get a, that'll be a year you'll never get back. And that just made sense to me. So I went to Bible college. First year, God called me to preach. I've never flown an airplane. I've ridden in a whole bunch of them, but I've never flown in one. But I don't care. I preached in India, and my son preached with me. My daughter's married to an assistant pastor in my church. My second daughter's engaged to a man of God, and they have plans to serve God together. My third daughter's in Bible college. She has a plan to serve God with her life. My fourth daughter is in high school. Y'all pray for her. Not quite at Karis level, but just pray. Was that a bad thing? Did I say the wrong thing? We had to be done. Listen. Listen. My future is bright. My present is blessed. But it wasn't my will that got me here. It was His. Faith plus obedience. It gets you where you need to go. It'll keep you where you need to stay. And it'll fill the horizon with the blessings only God can give. Shall we pray? Father, I pray that you would bless these young people. I pray that you would deal in their hearts today in a powerful way. Thank you. Thank you so very much that you have a perfect will. Yeah, there's good and acceptable, but Lord, you have a perfect will for each person in this room. May they find it. May they have the faith to obey. May they have the faith to stay where you put them. And may they have the faith not just of years, but of decades of a life spent serving God, just there in your pew in the closing moments, if God dealt in your heart and there's a decision that you need to make, would you do business with the Lord right there where you are? Maybe you need to choose the faith that gets you where you need to go. God got you here. He's not done. Maybe you're on the fence about whether you need to stay. Would you choose obedience to God's will and stay where He's placed you? And would you determine, Daniel purposed in his heart, that this is the life I'll always live, come what may, and it will come. This is the life I'll always live. Because following God blesses in a way that nothing, nothing else can. Lord, bless the students here. May your hand be upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.